I'm Riker, and this is Pilot. It's been a long time getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally here. And I come alive at night, and I will touch the sky. And I'm not gonna hold me down no more. No, you're not gonna change my mind. I've got faith of the heart. Going where my heart will take me. That's the classic, well-loved intro theme song to Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. I love it. I don't know. It Most was a surprising one. I actually didn't I didn't hate it. It just kind of it was very I mentioned it at the time. It was very 80s power ballot and I wasn't expecting that for Star Trek. It just I don't know. They seem to surprise me every time now as somebody who like is now watching more than the two that I've ever seen. So I came into it with some, I guess, assumptions and <laughs> See, this is why <laughs> this we're going backwards. Me. Yeah, this is why we're going backwards for you. And I think it's I think it's working. Yeah. Because I think Okay, let's start with something that that was kind of made for you to connect yeah, with lower re- decks. Relatable. Yeah, relatable. Yeah, let's go back through the through the new ones from the current regime, if you will. If you will, uh, yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't um, I? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now we're in back into the the classics, which is hard to. It's funny to say that Star Trek Enterprise is one of the classics at this point. Like this was the new one forever, and now it's also old. Well, yeah, you said that um, Star Trek had um, not been produced for how many years since this one ended? Uh, it went off for like 18 years. Yeah. There was no, no, I'm sorry. No, no. I made a mistake. It, it was on for 18 years in a solid run, mm-hmm. uh, 1987 to 2005. 2005 ended an era, the era that we refer to as the Berman era, because Rick Berman was the executive producer through uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. Uh, Enterprise was canceled. That ended that era. Uh, and then there was nothing until the Kelvin Universe, I guess, four years later, and not a new show until 2016. Okay. So uh, 11 years later. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's probably why then, that that one feels like one of the classics, even though it's like, you know, the newest ones of the old ones. Right. And, you know, as you said, like, was maybe the reason that they didn't create more for a while. <laughs> Well, jokingly, I think you said it in jest because there well, was obviously a lot. There was something to it, but you know, it's it wasn't probably this show's fault. This show didn't like end it for everybody. Uh, it had been on for eighteen years, and every seven years, based on the contract negotiations, they, there was a six-year contract. I think for most of the shows, and then they'd extend it for a year, and everybody'd get more pay. Uh, and the show would end, um, and this one made it four years. Uh, in the first two seasons, in typical uh, Star Trek um, tradition, are not very good. Uh, <laughs> third one finally had some direction. It was went some interesting places. I think most people who've seen the show like season three, and and season four was very trekky um, and was well regarded, generally <laughs> speaking. But uh, it was yeah, it definitely ended an era, and I and I got a. Even watching this one back, because I happen to think this is one of the better uh, pilots. And at the time, I thought, you know, outside of the original series, which we, you know, is the original series is its own. um, 
regime. You know, it <laughs> was its own era. Uh, so the Burman era being the long, the longest, you know, unified era. Uh, I think this was the best pilot of those shows. And, and yet I still was watching it here wondering, which I think was the, the problem with the show at the time, what's the point? It's kind of a what's the point problem that they could never answer and overcome. Why are we doing this show? Why are we doing a prequel? Mm-hmm. Uh, why, are we, why are we like rediscovering and explaining Star Trek back to Star Trek fans, who are the hardcore fans, the only ones watching it? Um, I felt like watching this alongside you that this was a little bit of a task for you to get through. Less so than most of them. Um, you know, my only concern that you may have noticed was that I kept wanting to check the time and I hadn't realized that they it was a part one and part two um, and that they put it in the single episode, which I actually really appreciate because then it's not like, oh God, okay, so how long is the second one? But at the same time, I kept watching this thinking this is part one of two. Like, Jesus, how much longer yeah. are we going to have? Like, it's not that I didn't appreciate what was going on. It was just... I felt like if they had another episode that is a companion to this one and part of the pilot, that they had no confidence in their storytelling ability <laughs> if they thought they needed more than this. Because it was. It felt like a very competent pilot. It was It was pretty good um, for a... You know, it still had pieces that were inaccessible to me as somebody who is not a Trekkie. Um, but it does feel like it's it's very much there for the fans. So I heard early on jokes that, you know you just kind of snickered at and I'm like, yeah, that means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was stuff like you mentioned it, uh, our new, our new weapons just arrived, which is weird because they're on a ship. Uh, I mean, they have already left earth. So why is it that we're now introducing the new weapons after we've been using other weapons? I always thought that was weird. I always preferred the design of the, of the first phase pistols, whatever they called them. Uh, and then the which we saw in this episode yeah okay and then so it would have been part two this mm-hmm. episode's titled broken bow so part two they got their new guns and that's when he says there's two settings stun and kill yeah like i don't know why they weren't ready before they left space dock i don't know why they went with two different batches here are the ready ones here are the non-ready ones it's like you yeah. want to like get the weapons ready before we go on this harrowing mission so that actually in practice made no sense but it was obviously just a thing that was there for the trekkies uh where they went from shooting it wasn't the like the ribbon stream, you know, the phaser stream that's a ribbon in shape. Um, it was a like a uh, I don't know what you'd say like a a bolt. You know, the first one it was a single shot, and you'd watch the the light, you mm-hmm. know, go like a firework. Yeah. Um, so that was very Star Trekky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, "Here's our our new weapons came in. It's a phase pistol." Uh, he says, "There's two settings: stun and kill. Don't confuse them." And you kind of snickered at it because it was campy. And I kind of snickered at it because it was like, again, do we really need to tell Trekkies that stun is a setting? (laughs) Well, and it's like, if you've seen Toy Story, you know that there's stun and, you know, set to stun, set to, like, these are the basic settings most people know. But I guess it's, it is nice for these non, you know, the non-Trekkies like me. It does seem like they kind of are interested in introducing more people to it. I feel like even the captain felt more relatable because he felt like just an army pilot, like a an elevated army officer, Air Force officer here. Um, yeah. So he just felt very relatable, like a story I already felt like I had been told before or had some interest in um, because he didn't feel like, oh, well, he's been part of this thing that I have no idea of. And he's, you know, yeah, and he's not nearly as stuffy as the other captains. <laughs> like he's just he's very... Uh, he's got a very specific American vibe to him. Like the goody two shoes. This is, 
Mr. America. Mr. America. Thank you. Yes. No, you're right. And I think that this show, having had so much Star Trek out there, they originally didn't call this show Star Trek Enterprise. It was originally titled Enterprise, which is why the intro was so much different. The effort was, oh, and here was the other big thing. It was on UPN, which is a weird place for it because UPN was really skewed a lot younger. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a very sitcom-y sort of place to go. So this really never fit there, but it was the United Paramount Networks, I think is what UPN stood for. Uh, Oh, I never knew that. Yeah, and Voyager launched UPN. Uh, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were syndicated back in a day when you would have syndicated shows in first run, first run syndication, which was unusual. Uh, So this is the first one, Voyager was the first one on a network that launched the network. So UPN at the time was only on in 60% of the nation. So most of the, uh, not most of the country, a big chunk of the country didn't have access to this. And I remember when this came on in 2000, when it premiered, it had 12 million people watched it. And it was good numbers. I mean, it was really, mm-hmm. it was really good. Or maybe it was like twenty million. Now, I, well, I'm lo- reaching back twenty years, but it might have been twenty million, and then it started to sag, or it was twelve million, and and whatever it was, it was impressive because it was only on in sixty percent of the country. Uh, so it came, it made a big splash when it first showed up, and I think the idea was to, I think they did brand something that let's put it in a different era in Star Trek history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's make it a little bit closer to our history so that the characters felt a lot more accessible. So I think the tone of the show, the unique part of Enterprise is is in the tone. And it's the fact that the characters are a lot more, they're a lot closer to our time period. Mm-hmm. So they're not, That's it. yeah, they're not the intellectuals in space that, you know, Picard's crew yes. was. Uh, and then there was a lot more, I think there was a lot of hearkening to... In indirect ways that I think they did pretty good, uh, a pretty good job of, and I'll get more specific about them as we go on. But Archer was was sort of the traditional Mister America, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit of swaggering cowboy action hero. Absolutely. You know? And he's from San Francisco, which I thought was funny. Oh, Somebody I miss says, that. Yeah, an alien says, "Have you tried Chinese food?" He said, "I grew up and I spent my whole life in San Francisco." I'm like, "Okay, you seem like a San Francisco guy for <laughs> sure." That's um, funny. But like when he says to Paul, when she says, "Well, when you when humans learn to, uh, hang on," he says to a Vulcan, "We'll get specific as we go on." Who's to Paul for people familiar with the show? Uh, she says something about their volatility, I think. And he says, "Volatile, you have no idea how much I'm restraining myself from knocking you on your ass." Mm. Which is quite a swaggering thing to say to a woman, too. Oh yeah, no kidding. Uh. So there's, there was things like knocking you on your ass. They said stuff like that a couple of times, which is something you or I might say, but not something Captain Picard would say. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So the tone was much different. And I think, and I always actually felt like, well, maybe not always, but um, I think that worked well for the show. I think that mm-hmm. is the, the unique part of Enterprise's DNA is that it is closer to us. It is. It does feel like the ship does feel like it has limitations. Yeah, It's a lot absolutely. smaller. It's not like a cruise ship with, with all the, uh, here's the holodeck, here's the pool, here's the gym. Yeah. So I think that was effective in, in creating some drama because it was a little bit more confined with people that you recognize as people. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah. Well, let's dive in. Uh, every week, except for the weeks that we don't do this, yes. um, we start by analyzing the streaming platform on which we watch the show. Now, we watch this one on Netflix because you're not currently a subscriber to Paramount+. Plus. Correct. I am a subscriber to Paramount+, Plus because I'm a Trekkie, and I need to support it, and Paramount+, Plus is the new home of Star Trek. Um, so we are analyzing, we're going to compare uh, Star Trek Enterprise, the uh, description of the episode on both, and uh, give our criticisms on the streaming sites. So, uh, season one, or sorry, oh yeah, season one, episode one, Broken Bow, part one and two, on Netflix, uh, describes the episode accordingly. Enterprise is about to embark on a dangerous first mission, bringing a chaste Klingon back to his homeworld. Paramount Plus, season one, episode one, Broken Bow, part one and two. The Enterprise crew sets on a maiden voyage with a mission to return a wounded Klingon to his people. I'm sorry, I have to say Paramount does so much better. When you had initially read the Netflix description to me, and I wasn't looking at the words, you said the words, bringing a chaste Klingon back to his homeland, and I'm like, so he's chaste? Is he like, he's pure in what way? Uh, it, <laughs> like, you know, why, why would it matter that he's yeah I didn't a take it as yeah exactly I didn't take it as a Klingon in pursuit which would have been I'm sorry I've never seen chased as an adjective ever why make it one that was there weird. are words for this yeah <laughs> that was weird it was yeah we noted why wouldn't you say a captured Klingon mm-hmm. why wouldn't you say a wounded Klingon like that was a great one right there yeah oh absolutely yeah let's take take away the chased part entirely. Yeah, why would you write a description with sentences that don't have meaning? <laughs> it was pretty strange. Yeah, so are you familiar with... Um, you you have some familiarity with Hogwarts, right? And, some. and Harry Potter. Are you familiar with how they do their house points? Uh, house points, no. They're mega arbitrary, which is kind of part oh. of the joke of the thing. Because it's just like randomly they will assign and, you know, hey, minus 100 points willy-nilly. Like it has nothing to do with what they did, really. They just kind of arbitrarily assign a number value and say plus or minus, you know. Yeah. Hey, we're mad at you, minus 100 points. Like, dear Lord, but is that better or worse than the thing that you did minus 15 points for? Meh. I don't know. You just It was a mood you were feeling that day. So I kind of would like to start implementing this for um, our purposes, for our streaming platform <laughs> and our streaming wars. Just kind of award it like Hogwarts house points. We don't have to keep track of the points. But, you know, we can kind of just throw some some shade when we feel like it and assign a number value to it. Great. That we then get to forget about forever. Maybe call it couch points instead of house points. Couch points. I like. <laughs> this was actually our original idea for our scoring system. Yeah. So I'm glad it makes its way, it's way back. in here. Yeah, yeah awesome. Because it was going to be, I don't know, maybe we change it every week. Or, or we originally built the show around uh, our analysis of How I Met Your Mother. And it was, yeah, this is uh, four... French horns. Yeah, four blue French horns. Smurf Smurf penises. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, um, because we watched this on Netflix, I would like to give it a negative 100 house points. Couch points. Couch points. Thank you. For um, its autoplaying. We were trying to talk a little bit about the episode before we got started, and we had it selected. But for all intents and purposes, to me, it was paused, and it just started autoplaying. And we were in like a whole minute and 40 seconds before either of us really noticed anything was happening. And granted, it was on very low volume because HBO Max is 
way too loud, but we're not talking about them today. Um, anyway, so it was way too quiet, and we just didn't notice. But. Well, to be clear, you were watching HBO Max most recently. Yes. So it was at volume level three or four, which is how you remembered you were watching mm-hmm. HBO Max Absolutely. most recently. Mm-hmm. So this starts autoplaying. You're making coffee. We're not ready yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm talking to you. I'm playing on my phone. I'm, I'm looking at the TV. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it like a preview's playing. Yeah. And then the preview keeps playing. So I'm not interpreting what I'm seeing. And then, yeah. you, and then you sit down, the episode's on, and you said, oh, wait a second. Did I press play? Yeah. With no volume on? It's like, no, that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, and then you click whatever, you know, whatever, like, enter to get the screen back up, you know, the menu yeah. options back up. And it says resume like do you want to press play it it already says do you want to resume yeah not do you want to press play so that is absolutely the most annoying feature i think mm-hmm. that netflix has any of their autoplay stuff when it it's like and i know what they're doing mm-hmm. they're just trying to put the content in front of you immediately so you don't move off and go to paramount plus or go to hulu or go to whatever else that you're more interested in that week so what they do to try to keep you there is offend you mm-hmm. by not giving you the option oh, yeah. to opt in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Probably my biggest criticism about Netflix, mm-hmm. which other than that, we usually compliment, give high, high cl- uh, regard to, high acclaim for yeah. uh, being the interface for all other interfaces to model. Except, you know what actually my biggest, biggest complaint about Netflix is? Because that one doesn't doesn't affect me as much as my biggest, biggest complaint. Which is? Um, I just forgot, but I got it in a second. One that gets me. Oh, yeah. I remember what it was. Go. My biggest, biggest complaint about Netflix, it's so hard to get back to shows I'm watching. Oh, like, I yeah. I will scroll forever, like, like I'm rewatching Breaking Bad with Elise mm-hmm. right now. Like, where... Is it? Like, if you start going too deep... Do they move where the continue watching list is? I think they do. But there's never, like, just a start because you're Mm -hmm. always just... Somewhere in the list. Yeah, it's a rolling list, Mm -hmm. not a top and bottom list. So you're just somewhere in there. So you're scrolling past it. Like, what do you think I want to watch, Netflix? Like, I want to watch the same thing that I watch every single time that I turn you on for the last month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I usually get lost in Netflix for that reason as well, that I'm just like... Wait, what did I come here for? Yeah. What am I looking for? Like, I just, I know I came here because I wanted to rewatch a show, and now I'm just like looking through all of these random sh- things that yeah. trying to, and it starts auto playing it. So it's very easy to just forget why you came there and say, fuck it. I'm tired of being, you know, screamed at by this platform. Mm-hmm. So I guess my biggest complaint is that thing that I just said. And the worst <laughs> part about it is the autoplay. Yeah. Because, you know, on the, on the where's the continue watching? Mm-hmm. You'd think that if you go to the left, you know, and it gives you your tabs again. Do you want to yeah. search? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? I'd like your to be able to go there. to the left, yeah, and say continue watching, mm-hmm. and just have the five things that you've watched most recently, mm-hmm. or or actually continue watching. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you finished these ones. These ones are done. Yeah, uh, you've been watching this show most recently, and these are the other four things that you might want to finish at some point in time. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> yeah. Dear Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I know these are first world problems, but first world problems are still problems, okay? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> Let's gripe. <laughs> well, and you know, one other thing it seems now to gripe about for them is <laughs> their shitty description. Like, wow, minus five, minus 15 points for Chaste. You know, 15 <laughs> points for, they, but it's like their whole description is... A sentence without meaning. So I say mm-hmm. minus 85 couch points. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. 15 just doesn't feel like it really... It's a shot across the bow, but I want him to feel it. Yeah. 
Touche. Take that. You know, okay, one last thing with the autoplay while we're still on it. Um, I kind of love it when I'm watching other platforms. Like, I miss it when I'm watching other platforms, but it's dangerous when I'm watching Netflix. Mm. Is that they do their autoplay, but it's so seamless that you did not realize the last episode ended and that you're now three to five minutes into this new one. And you're like, shit, well, I don't, I wasn't signing up for another one. My plan yeah. was just to stop after the next episode. Um, but, you know, now more hours have passed that I just have lost track of time because I was kind of using episodes to track time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my pants are already off. I don't really have anywhere to be. So wondering where you were going. with. I that. guess I could keep watching this. <laughs> yeah. It's always a different thing if your pants are on. If your pants are on, you got to ask yourself, do I have somewhere I need to be? Mm. Is there somewhere I should go? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if I start another episode, pretty fair chance my pants are coming off. And then we might as well watch another one after this. Touche. Yeah. And I hate it because like um, Disney Plus, for example, I've been watching because I've been watching Mandalorian. Um, that was kind of my way to celebrate May the 4th. In addition to releasing our episode of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Which you um, can find at pilotspodcast.com or anywhere thank you. where podcasts are podcasted. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Check out Mandalorian also, you know, which we also have there. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, so I've been ca getting caught up on that and I, I don't know how to skip to the next episode when it's doing the credit sequence. I'm just like, next, next, next. Like, how do I, I, the only thing I've been finding is fast forwarding and then it That's what brings I me do. to the, is that it? Okay, yeah. guys, I, I pause, figure this out. But I have Apple TV. I don't know how it works for you. Mm -hmm. I pause it and then I scroll because I mm -hmm. have, it's just the very light touch Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on that Apple remote. Mm -hmm. Pause, scroll the end, press play and then you got like two seconds before the next one starts. Yeah. Um, and I seem to recall that Mandalorian is like Game of Thrones where it has like 45 minutes of content so between the, the bookend at the beginning and the end of the actual mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen The Mandalorian yet? Before this, is this your first watch through of it? This is my first watch through, yes. Yeah. How far are you in? Um, I think I might be almost done with the first season. Okay. I think season two uh, improves markedly. Yeah. I was I was mixed on season one, but maybe there was just a tonal shift that I hadn't committed to yet. Mm, maybe. I, I, I have to say I have been enjoying it, definitely. Um, and it got over the thing that initially bothered me with it, which was that um, it was kind of, it felt campy because you have, you can see the mechanical action of it. And then I realized what you had been saying all along in it. And I kind of, I feel like maybe I dismissed in the time, um, was that it's just kind of the... It's a nod to the be the the origins of Star Trek, like and how it was originally created. It kind of reminds me of like you a said Star Trek. We sorry, just Star be, Wars. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> oh man, we're doing this in a bad episode. <laughs> All right. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, You're talking about the mechanical, uh, like the masks. Yes, like the the, the, the mechanical, the masks practical of, effects that they yes. use instead of digital effects, where the lip on I have spoken. Yes. Yeah. You know exactly what, Quill. <laughs> right. Yeah, so like the mechanical effects, uh, and sorry, the practical effects of Quill, I'm starting to appreciate. Um, it, it very much now reminds me of like Jim Henson's films, um, you know, or his TV stuff where it's like, um, you know, it's like puppets. Yeah. And that's just part there of the art go. form that you need to just kind of appreciate that that's part of the thing and don't let that take you out of the sure. reality because it's not supposed to necessarily be realistic. I don't know. That was just something that really helped me get through that. Yeah. <laughs> and I really appreciate it now. Well, and it, I think what you're saying, and correct me if, if this doesn't accurately get it, 
out of respect to the source material mm-hmm. and all the fans who preferred the practical effects uh, over everything being digital. Yeah. Uh, we honor the fans mm-hmm. and the work of the original artists by saying, yeah, it doesn't all need to be digital. Absolutely. And now the practical effects, like like the uh, weird mouth motions that he does where it is still too mechanical, mm-hmm. look how far that's come. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be a lost art if they don't, work on it exactly right? exactly that it'll be a lost art yeah maybe that becomes i mean we got to invest in that mm-hmm. like i always thought when i was a little kid when i was a you know teenager uh drafting out um potential star trek shows i wrote a really long screenplay once for a star trek movie that broke it up into two parts me. um wait was, is this the one that you like sent them yeah i put oh, some real yeah. work into getting it read uh, it's 250 pages long, improperly formatted. I do somewhere. Oh my gosh! It we should definitely as, post that at some point as like bonus content. <laughs> it was saved as hey material. Trek script five on a floppy disk uh, because there was four wow. that preceded this particular draft that I finally got through. It was big. I mean, it was yeah. too big. That's how Trekkies do it when they yeah. when they do fan fiction. It's like let's get all the characters from all the shows in. Um, anyway, uh, I always <laughs> thought someday. Um, when I'm an executive producer, when I'm a showrunner of a Star Trek series, which to <laughs> this day is my dream job. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, not uh, the one you're pursuing, but yes, dream job. I love my gig. Yeah. yeah I love it. It's awesome. I, this is one that you like set, put your mind to it and you can do it. Um, but that specific, like being a showrunner would have maybe been a goal that mm-hmm. I would say, okay, I want to be a showrunner. Then you do the things you got to do to be a showrunner and, you know, land somewhere in the mix. But to say, I want to be a showrunner of a Star Trek series, that seems a little too specific. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And pretty competitive. So Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but there's so many shows. Why couldn't one of them? I got a good dip. Anyway. <laughs> I got a good pitch. I really do. But I always thought that wouldn't it be cool if one of these days, the Klingons, rather than just having a rubber head ridge uh-huh. applied to their head, if there could be animatronics within that so you could see them oh like, yeah yeah yeah. so you could see them have facial expressions exactly yeah. you could see them wrinkle their forehead and you could watch that emotion there i always thought that would be awesome so when you talk about with quill it's sort of a step in that direction mm-hmm. where we can actually see the uh more organic movements happening Excellent. Well, thank you. Way to tie that back into the show we're talking about right. today, which is Enterprise. Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> At this point, it was still just called Enterprise. So yeah. It's funny, oh, too. So yeah. I don't know. I think the uh, I don't know if the logos still just say Enterprise in the intro mm-hmm. or if they updated all the episodes retrospectively to say Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, I didn't catch it in this episode. I didn't pay attention. Yeah. You were so, giving me the history on it. So. <laughs> right. Okay. Anyway, so yeah. that, that's a, a long time coming to get to genre yeah absolutely oh man yeah um genre so i was afraid we weren't gonna have anything to talk about oh yeah that's silly <laughs> that's foolish um so obviously it's genre is star trek like yeah. i mean that's pretty easy um i will say there's a lot more fighting in it than normal star trek so there is that but it's their crew isn't established yet is what i'm gathering or what i've gathered um you know feel free to correct me at any point um but and I don't feel like I understand where this is in the timeline because it seems like, and maybe you kind of gave me this background and it didn't click for me, but this is the first time they're getting a hold of warp technology. Is this right? No. Okay. Uh, I know what you're saying because uh, there's a lot of uh, references to Zephyr Cochran who was yes. from a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. There's more to it than that, but okay. the one that we're actually going off of is 
uh, Star Trek First Contact, uh, which is sort of the great beloved next generation film with the Borg in it. Um, yeah. And their cube. And their cube. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking out for, for, for cube for shapes cubes. this time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, are they, it'd be great if I got it in another pilot. <laughs> and then was like, oh, now I get the weight of the other pilot that I watched. Right. That's the only pilot that has a cube in it. Yeah, bummer. Thanks. Sorry. Spoilers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Looking way backward. <laughs> so, uh, Zephram Cochran started, he was the um, guy who invented warp drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of a funny thing where in the original series, they they established that Zephram Cochran was lost in, in space. Like, there was a failed mission later on, and nobody really knows what happened to him. And they have, they go to some planet where they say, oh, there's Zephram Cochran. Like, he's he's not necessarily the real guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the movies, they sort of contradict that uh, by, by uh, what's his name? Um, James Cromwell. He was in this. They did a... Uh, it was hard to see him. He was a hologram. Yeah, okay, you got it right then. So you know when it was. Uh, anyway, uh, he's in... First contact. The the fun part is that he's a uh, he's the historic figure. You know, he's like mm-hmm. George Washington. Okay, he's, yeah. He's um, he's the guy that changed the world. Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah, where the world that had been ravaged by World War Three and and uh, it was it was you know horrible outcomes across the globe. He invents warp drive, uh, takes the ship out. There's a Vulcan ship passing by, catches his warp signature, says, oh my goodness, there's warp over here. They come over, and, and that's First Contact. And that's the name of the movie, Star Trek First Contact. Oh, cool. So something goes wrong based on activities from the cube uh, in First Contact, and we find out that Zephram Cochran, the hero of history, mm-hmm. uh, was a drunk. And he was... He was uh, they, they're only talking about his vision, like, man, you had a vision. And he's finding out that he goes on to be a historic character because there's a time travel element. And he's saying, I'm w- what? Like, they said, oh, yeah, there's a statue of you at, at Federation headquarters. He says, I don't want to be a statue as he has a meltdown one day. It's very funny, actually. Uh, and it's one of the great Star Trek movies. But he says... And sorry, just really quick. The Star Trek movie did come out before the series. Yes. yes? Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is tying back into mm-hmm. some of that. Yes. So they all think he's a hero. And then he says at some point, he goes, you know who Zephram Cochran is? You know who his vision is? He said, I was hoping that I'd be able to build that, that ship and like make some money on it and retire to an island somewhere full of naked women. Like that's Zephram Cochran. That's his vision. So the, the, the fun part about it is that the, uh, way history might remember somebody was maybe not exactly how that person actually is. Most often, I would say. <laughs> right? so, so they reference back to him a bunch of times in this, from the point of view that at this time they would know him as the visionary. So that was 90 years before that that first contact happened. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is 100 years later, uh, about, and and the Star Trek year, Kirk was like 300 years after Zephram Cochran, and okay. these are crude numbers. Uh, and uh, the next generation was 75 years after Kirk. So we're a couple hundred years back. So this would be like... If, uh, you know, if America was looking back at the founding of, of America, mm-hmm. that would be Captain Picard looking back at this point in history right now where they're building the first Warp 5 capable ship. So it's basically the first ship that they're building to have a deep space 
mission or that's equipped for a deep space mission okay. to really start exploring. And what we're finding is in this point in history, which we'd never seen before, which I thought was a really compelling part of this series, mm-hmm. is that I've always thought this was pretty well done, is that the Vulcans are friends and allies, but they're very adversarial with, oh, yeah. with human beings. They Absolutely. think they're yeah, they think they're crude and, and crass and unfit to be out there exploring uh, the galaxy and have been pretty oppressive toward them uh, and have held them back from scientific achievement that would have taken them to the stars sooner. Uh, and this is kind of humanity's point where they're starting to put a thumb in the Vulcan's eyes and you know what we're we got this uh, trip. Tucker, one of our characters says at some point uh, here he's when the Vulcans are criticizing him for being savage, he says we've uh, he says war, disease, hunger, pretty much wiped them out in two generations. So we're at a point where humanity's sort of in its renaissance period after a really dark time, um, heading out to space in a very serious way for the first time. Yeah. That's where we're at. Cool. So to be more efficient with our purposes here, genre, Star Trek, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, take Star Trek out of it. It's a spaceship sci-fi adventure show. Yeah. This one's pretty action-packed. This one is, and yeah. it was it was nice. Um, I really liked um, that you telling me more about where we were at in the timeline makes sense because it feels like that was the kind of a focal point in the episode was the adversarial relationship between humans and and Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our main gal T'Pol. He's T'Pol. T'Pol. Okay, yeah. um, who is a Vulcan science officer. Um, it's just generally disdainful of humans it seems like like there are a lot of different things that she was saying um here's one is um this is no time to be imposing your ethical beliefs yeah so she's just constantly saying things that are like you know humans kind of suck so one of them was um you know vulcans don't touch food with their hands like kind of like really grossed out by humans on it um vulcan children play with toys more complicated than (laughs) your sensors basically um Uh, Humans can't refrain from drawing conclusions. You should learn to objectify other cultures so you know when to interfere and when not to, which while it was kind of picking at humans, I felt like that one was pretty apt and like something that becomes a theme in Star Trek as a whole. Well, that was a critical... Oh, that's a good point. That's such a good point. And that was a critically timed uh, message she was Mm -hmm. getting across him, which was shut your mouth. You're about to make a big scene and get us killed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interjecting to go stick up for that kid and it's a totally different alien race that you don't know anything about oh we just showed up here on on this mission that Mm -hmm. we're kind of going rogue on because it's gone badly um and and you're right that was kind of giving the message that becomes the guiding principle of star trek going forward Mm -hmm. which is we're going to go seek out new life and new civilizations and and learn about them uh and not not judge them try not to interfere which is the the um uh, prime directive i was yeah. searching in my mind for that word thank you <laughs> and they have i think in in this series in this part of the timeline mm-hmm. i think they call it general order one which okay. becomes the prime directive yeah. so that's even a specific episode in this series cool um but uh so but to be where where you're at uh in to paul's criticism of humanity uh and a lot of it is just pure bigotry yeah and uh, Archer's pretty bigoted toward Vulcans as well. Oh, yeah. We have an interesting thing. Well, I'm sorry. Genre. You're going to score this? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I thought that was clear. We both definitely said totally. pass. Okay. Like, that's definitely... It It did not, you know, hide the fact that it was very Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and 
was surprisingly welcoming for being Star Trek. Um, I don't know if I just don't give it any credit for that in general, or this was definitely a lot more welcoming to me as a non-Trekkie. Uh, that's interesting to me to find that out mm-hmm. because I felt like uh, at this point, I think this is probably the problem with it. Mm-hmm. This, they tried to make a Star Trek to appeal to a broader base mm-hmm. and ended up Pissing off not appealing to anybody. Oh, yeah. Because it was kind of too deep into it where, mm-hmm. where there's not a bunch of new fans saying, yeah, I'm going to check that out. And there was nothing new here. Like yeah. The formula was the same mm-hmm. for the most part. The tone was different. And yeah. the tone, you're watching it now saying, oh, actually, that was kind of attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot more accessible to me, and I appreciated that. And yet, there was nothing else, I don't think, to engage in a new audience. So they end up making a Star Trek show for Trekkies, mm-hmm. speaking to non-Trekkies, mm-hmm. that non-Trekkies aren't watching, and now that Trekkies aren't watching, or Trekkies are mad at. I think that's what happened historically. In, I could see that sense. happening. I feel like if this had come out now, that it might be more accessible, even just exactly as it is, though, because they do, like, the very beginning of this is our crew is not formulated. Like, we don't have a solid crew yet. Yeah. It's kind of everyone's coming together. So I feel introduced to this crew brand new. Like, I feel good about it. I think in the modern Star Treks, we're usually at the beginning of something's launch. Well, and that's that's been nice. But I you'll guess see I did, that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't feel that so much. I guess um, previously, like I I felt like with Next Gen, I was just like, man, they already kind of have their thing going on, and they feel like they might have even been kind of newish then. But it just felt like they already kind of had a rhythm to it. This is just how these voyages type, you know, these type of voyages go. Star Trek had a rhythm to it. Exactly, right. that's what it was. So, uh, you in talking about T'Pol and talking mm-hmm. about the bigotry between humans and and Vulcans, I wanted to talk about Jonathan Archer. Our, yes. The star of our show, mm-hmm. Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap, that's what uh, I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Bakula, who's already has nerd fame, nerd cred. Yeah. Uh, who's great. I love that guy. Um, he, we start with a flashback, which I thought was, which is unusual. It was unusual for this show. It's unusual for Star Trek. I thought yeah. it was very tasteful. I thought it was really a cool thing. I thought they did it well. Mm-hmm. Where it's him as a kid, kind of mouthing off to his dad about Ambassador Pointy, which mm-hmm. is Soval, who we get later who's uh who's the vulcan ambassador to, to earth uh and he says hey i told you repeatedly not to call him that he's mm-hmm. basically saying hey that's sort of a bigoted thing to say yeah. don't do that and they've been very helpful to us and he says billy cook who i went to school with billy cook so mm-hmm. i just thought that was funny Shout um, out billy cook <laughs> he says billy cook says that uh the vulcans are holding out on us basically they're not telling us information that would help uh us you know, progress. Yeah. And he says, well, they have their reasons. And, and the, the thing that keeps coming up throughout this episode is they're building a model, um, shuttle together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it feels like a shuttle that would be, you know, 50 years advanced from where we are today. Mm -hmm. hundred years advanced. Uh, so it's still pretty rinky dink. Yeah. By Star Trek standards. Right. (laughs) But, but not something that actually exists. Yeah. And like early warp nacelles, which is, you know, Star Trek. <laughs> and uh, so they're building this model thing together. So it's a cool father-son. It's it's character mm-hmm. and it's emotion. And it's there's a not nostalgia, a nostalgia from Archer's point of view, from his character's point of mm-hmm. view, to be considering thinking back to this thing with his dad. Yeah. So his dad was part of the team that was working on warp drive. And uh, from Archer's point of view, 
because of Vulcan meddling, we weren't able to make the strides that my father could have made in his lifetime, and you prevented him from being successful in realizing uh, his life work. Mm -hmm. And he's resentful about it. And then you have Vulcans just coming in there with their logic and their reason, saying, no, no, you're, you're not ready yet. So there's a, a history here in, in the actual history in the timeline, and mm -hmm. a history between Archer and the Vulcans, where he's resented them for, for what they've done to his dad since he, professionally mm -hmm. since he was a little kid. And I thought that was out of step with Star Trek, but, but a really good... Um, direction to go dramatically yeah. where the characters suddenly had a character. You know, they suddenly had emotions. They suddenly had baggage, but it's not dramatic. Like, it's not it's not melodramatic. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we got the same thing with, and I'm, I cannot remember her name right now, but the gal in Discovery, um, you know, when she, we're doing flashbacks to her yeah. upbringing um, with Vulcans, even as a human. Burnham. 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 Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so it it was interesting. I will say um, the the flashbacks didn't con you know didn't connect for me, and I don't know if that was just you know a, a function of my attention span at the time, or if it was just I had no idea what was going on. So when he was talking about pointy pointy eared and Saval, I was just like I have no idea, no context for who that is to understand that that's a racist thing. That's a good point. So, you wouldn't have. Yeah, why would you have caught that? Yeah, so I felt very confused throughout that. And then I heard the name Billy and then assumed that that was that kid's name and then almost never made the connection until towards the end that that was who that was. So the emotional part just, I didn't, I never got to be a part of that. <laughs> I still now just like, I'm still trying to run through and like apply back, you know, retroactively apply that. Yeah context to it if you watched it again you would get it but probably you, but you didn't get it the first time mm -hmm. and was was the issue there because it was a late night last night or or yeah. was the issue there that they weren't clear about it and, and it, it it's not that complex of a show like the plotting it's is not, not that no, complex no, so so one should be able to figure it out so if but i do wonder if it was important for me to kind of if i had watched the movie that this would never have been an issue for me that i'd be like oh yeah no i know who saval is i know yeah, well, it wasn't a criticism on you. The yeah. criticism was on the writing. Yeah. If, like, that should have been some simple stuff. Mm -hmm. So did you miss it because they didn't make it clear enough? Yeah. Or did you miss it because, you know, you missed it? Yeah, part of me feels like they probably did it okay, but it just wasn't made, it, it wasn't as made for non-Trekkies, you know? Like, yeah. even if you missed the movie as a Trekkie, I feel like you would have quickly been like, yeah, okay, this is, they're obviously talking about Vulcans because this is something Vulcans always do, you know, or, you know. That you would have more context as a Trekkie to kind of have your ears open for keywords that would give you an idea as to what's going on in this. Good point. Um, well, that being said, I yeah. still think the uh, backstory was was touching. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with the dad Not contesting that. And I think that the um, the sort of uh, by the end of this episode, after Archer and Paul are are there's a lot of adversarialness between yeah. their characters, and at the end he. Um, says to her, "Is it concluded the mission? She's only going to be there for a short time uh, as a observer. They call her subcommander to Paul, and she's sort of like second in command. She's a science officer, and they're just looking at her as a babysitter. In fact, she mentions espionage. She says, "I'm not here for espionage. Yeah, 
I'm really just here to assist. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're sick of you guys coming in here and bullying us. Yeah. By the end, where they both save each other's lives a couple times, he says something to her uh, about, and I didn't write it down because there was too much. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, the first part that I liked, he says, this mission would have failed without your help. And she says, I won't dispute that. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and he says that in order to move on from here, he's realizing maybe he, he, needs, he has some work to do personally, not holding grudges. A um, couple points that he makes, character flaws that he realizes that he's not happy about. And, and she's, oh, jump into conclusions, maybe being kind of prejudiced toward Vulcans. Uh, and then he says, he's trying to ask her to stay on the the, the mission, stay on the yes. trip because they've extended enterprises. You know, you're going to, you're going to stay out there. Yeah. The yeah. scope of their mission for sure. Um, and it went successfully and they did a good job. So they said, Hey, you're out there. Don't come back to earth yet. Like go, go do some exploring. And he says, I wouldn't be able to, if, if I were to uh, ask them to keep you here, it's going to make it look like I just need to be babysat and then mm-hmm. I need your help. And she says, perhaps you should add pride to your, to your list. list. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and he says, perhaps. It was very Trekkie, mm-hmm. but, and it was very human. It was very traditional. It was very much like a scene between Spock and Kirk, which I think was uh, deliberate, but I thought it echoed it well without feeling derivative. Uh, but my point is just to say that the arc that... Archer had in this episode, I thought was very strong. And I thought it was, I don't think you generally get, you well, you really don't generally get in old school Star Trek, don't get character arcs that strongly. Yeah. Uh, and this was, in just this episode, was really a strong character arc, mm-hmm. uh, which made him a very sympathetic character for me. I, he was very easy to accept, first of all, because of Scott Bakula's nerd cred, and because he was just an old school, traditional American hero type. Yeah. So he... he Check all the boxes. You got somebody that you can easily accept as a guy who would be a captain of a spaceship. Uh, and then the character arc that they add into it, I thought, was one of the more compelling, um, certainly in a pilot, and I don't mean overall, but one of the more compelling, small scope, mm-hmm. uh, character pieces that I've seen in Star Trek of the Berman era. Cool. So who do we have next on characters? Well, you know, this being a Star Trek show of its time, you know, we could yeah. list out the crew. You don't get much about Reed. He's the security guy. You don't, yeah. you don't get much about Mayweather, who's the pilot, other than he was a space boomer, they mm-hmm. call him. Uh, cool. And he was like an early generation of, of oh, he was a, like the first generation of kids that actually grew up in space on freighters. Oh, cool. Which is why he's telling Trip later. He says, oh, there's always that sweet spot yes. in the ship. And he's got little comments like, oh, does the gravity feel a little, he- does the artificial gravity feel a little heavy to read? And he says, no, it feels good to me. This feels right. And he said, oh, my dad always kept it on 0.8 Gs. That was one where I was like, man, I feel like this is a Trekkie joke that just went way over my head. So thank you for revisiting that because I couldn't remember exactly yeah. what it was, but I wanted to get it. It wasn't at all because it wasn't, that wasn't, um, a, that wasn't specific to Star Trek. The mm-hmm. idea was just artificial gravity was adjustable. And uh, since they didn't work on a regulation ship, that he didn't grow up on a regulation starship, mm-hmm. which I don't know at this point in history if there really was that. Uh, the dad, who's just captaining his own freight ship, liked to crank it down to the the uh, gravity down to 0.8 because it gave him a little more pep in his step. Oh, yeah. Because he was able to step a little lighter. So that was about as much as you ever got from Mayweather in the entire show. Yeah. Which is a 
unfortunate thing that they lost track, I think, of the actor and the character. But mm-hmm. that was a fun idea that I thought was going to go somewhere. Um, I'm just going to hit him real quick if you don't no, mind. No, I appreciate so that. Thank uh, you. Chapal, we mentioned already. She's a science officer from Vulcan. She's very, she's very Vulcan. She's very stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they put her there to be, you know, some of the sex appeal of the show too. I've seen the actress and yeah, that was really weird. I have to say, pretty that- forced. Yeah, I didn't want to criticize it for having a sex scene because, like, I feel like that's, I mean, they should be allowed to do that. I just felt very uncomfortable with it, like, that they had to sexualize the only strong female character on this show, and I felt bothered by that. The whole, you know, like, hey, you guys need to know that Vulcans have nipples, and they look a lot like female nipples when they're aroused and like let's really sexualize her and they're rubbing stuff on each other but this is completely they don't even like each other okay you see so they're just they're doing this because they have to but like let's look at these wet people who are rubbing stuff on each other while i don't it was just it was uncomfortable yeah well and it was a thing that didn't it was the decontamination mm-hmm. room yeah which was introduced in star trek in this series so mm-hmm. that's not like it's a thing yeah um and i think the idea here since they're going to go explore strange new worlds, come back, go through decon. Uh, I, I would say the idea is that later in the show, due to innovation, yeah. uh, decon's not a thing anymore. And then it, it really did feel forced that mm-hmm. let's introduce decon, which would make sense yeah. in a, like a scientific sense. Actually, makes a lot of sense. Um I can't believe I've never thought about that before. Yeah. And also, let's really just introduce decon um to add some sex appeal to the show. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if it was because they were trying to, like, put us into the idea, you know, because obviously, and let me look for his name, Trip Tucker, yeah. Lieutenant Tucker, um, he had such an issue with Vulcans, you know, kind of going in theme with what we've been introduced to in this episode. Um, and so it felt like they were playing against each other, like this was going to build into a sexual tension, um, because there are multiple times where I'm like, oh, yeah, these two are supposed to be shipped, but they're I really don't like them. them. Yeah. 100% they're shipping them. I didn't like it. Um, and maybe maybe that's just on me, but yeah, it just it felt like... Well, see, I I think since we're obviously shipping them, I mm-hmm. thought it was a effective way of saying, oh, there's going to be a sexual tension between these two. Yeah, okay. So let's establish really early there's a sexual attention, a sexual tension, and then do really nothing to explore it, and we can we can have that be a slow burn through the oh, series. Okay, well you know so, that's something I generally like. So yeah, maybe I'm, I'll I'm not. okay with all of it, mm-hmm. but all the slow pans and slow yeah. tilts of the camera that like oh she's sexy and you know sexy and you know it. Yeah, it's like yeah she is sexy. It just wasn't Star Trek, and we do know it right. And, uh, and it's a little bit too on the nose. Mm-hmm. It's like, exactly. Is like in order to make the show sexy, it's just. We're doing this in a really obvious way, right out of the gate. Like, do something sexy on the planet. Like, have some, you know, do something because they had those ladies eating the butterflies yeah. or whatever it was um, on the on the alien planet. Like, do something like mm-hmm. that, and that would have been very trekky. And then, and we could still get into the de- like decon was still a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it would have been a fine thing to use to sexualize the show, where you have a crew in close quarters, frustrated as hell with each other. Um, and then needing to go through this process together. Uh, you could have maybe dipped your toe into that and had that be, we could have worked up to that in a different way. Like, we could have still yes. done that. Like, I yeah. don't necessarily have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And I like sex. Like, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I so that I kept with myself in the entire time. I was like, I don't understand why I have a problem with this. Because it's not that they're sexualizing her, per se. It's 
I just, there's something about it that feels off to me. Because it was crudely done, and mm-hmm. by crudely, I, I don't mean vulgarly, uh, there was just no nuance in it. Yeah. It was, it was, it was like softcore porn the way they presented it. That's it. Thank yeah. you. With the low light and the, it was, and it's like, wow, Star Trek doesn't know how to do sex. Like, Star Trek is nerdy. It's a nerdy yeah. animal, and it's like a, a sciencey nerd kind of nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's take a science, a science nerd show and then make like Skinamax quality sex scenes with it. And it yeah. was just like really lame. Yeah. No, it was weird. And really obvious that they were trying to sexualize it, but it doesn't turn you on because it's too obvious. Whoa. Okay. I didn't say it doesn't turn me on. Oh, I was sorry. just saying it didn't feel like Star Trek. She's obviously still a very attractive woman. Oh, no, no. <laughs> No, she turns me <laughs> yeah. on. Don't get me wrong. She turns me on, but it takes you out of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so 100%. it was ineffective. Mm-hmm. So it's like this wasn't a steamy scene because yeah. it was badly done and really didn't belong here. Yeah. So you don't watch it and think, oh man, that worked me out. <laughs> what a turn on that scene was. Mm-hmm. It was, you spend your time scratching your head thinking, why have we spent so long on the podcast talking about it? Yeah. Because... It was that much of an eyesore, that scene. Not her. She's great. She's great. And I've seen her in interviews and stuff, and there's some like bloopers on uh, YouTube of, of the Enterprise crew. She's got the best laugh. She's got the best smile. Like She's a sexy gal. Yeah. And uh, she just seems cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the compliments in the, wor- <laughs> the world about her. <laughs> but this scene didn't do her justice. Yeah, no. Definitely. A Malcolm Reed security guy, whether... The uh, and the uh, pilot, um, Flox, Doctor Flox. He's an alien yes. creature. He's a Denobulan. Uh, he's quite the character. I loved the introduction to him um, because it was very different than my introduction to medicine through Lower Decks, which was the comical. You know, you wave the laser at it and shine a do, light on. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. And instead, he had like he had weird creatures on board because they all had you know, their own special healing properties. And so, you know, we came into him having, it looked like a starfish on him. Uh, It was a leech, yes? It was, well, I want to add one thing. Mm -hmm. These were not necessarily just Denobulan creatures that he has with him. No. These are like from planets across the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And he says something like the Vulcans have some exchange program. Yes. Because they understand the value of expanding their Mm -hmm. ideas of medicine and medical science. Exactly. Uh, for example, this starfish looking, and it was a really nice piece of of um, television, like props. It was a really nice prop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was gooey. It was gross. It looked organic. Yeah. And it he used it to, I can't remember the, the Trekkie line that he says about fusing your fibers back together. Cauterizing. He, well, there was a Trekkie line too oh. about fusing the fibers. Gotcha. But in effect, which he does say is that. This thing, he uses this to cauterize the wound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like the idea that this is the beginning of Star Trek medical science. Exactly. That's that where I was trying to go with it. That they sh- started yeah. this program that I feel like I was introduced to this character as this whole, you know, like, I feel like I'm being introduced to a Star Trek dynamic here that yeah. continues on, which I was really excited about and feeling like I get, like, I think that's my issue with um, being a non-Trekkie coming into the Star Trek universe is that. I don't ever feel like things are just new for me. I feel like I just have to know that it's always been this way and I have to know some history coming into this. And this, for the first time, felt like, hey, no, it's okay. You didn't have to know this. We got this for you. Yeah. Well, and and we're point. not going to treat you like you're a moron about it. But like, hey, let's like let's explore this together, which I thought was really juicy and very exciting. Like, I he was my favorite part, I would say, easily. Um, well, I mean, obviously, T'Pol. T'Pol? T'Pol, yeah. T'Pol is pretty great, too. But um, yeah, Dr. Flux was really awesome. 
Uh, and he was, and he was just so weird. Yeah, and just so taken with, um, like he's just he was very excited about the intellectual aspects about it, giddy about it. And that's to me, if you're gonna watch a nerdy show, you need people who are like giddy about the nerdy aspects, like characters who are giddy about it. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're not gonna be excited about it and you're going to deliver it in a monotone fashion, I'm gonna blow it off because it's not important to me either. Uh, yeah, he's he's pretty excited to be. There. He's got full buy-in. Yes, exactly. That he says he likes human beings too. The character, yeah. and I, I can't remember what he says. Do you remember what it was? He, he said, had said something about being excited about being able to study humans in a under pressure or something like that. And maybe he, I'm picking up something that you're def- not trying. No, to... No, it was in that same yeah. time, but but somewhere in that scene, um, he says something about human beings. His favorite aspect of them mm-hmm. is that they're curious or charismatic or mm-hmm. some there is some specific word oh, yep. so on one hand when you have vulcans who don't like human beings really at all mm-hmm. and you have him looking at him say god you guys are just so like you just have so much um oh uh like positivity like yeah so, it was charisma it was, was a word that they used in that did they okay mm-hmm. uh well there was there was it was that or it was it was hope it was like they were hopeful yeah um uh, so whatever it was, uh, I, I liked that he looked at the best of humanity. Yeah. He looked at the things that made human beings awesome. And, it, and that's, that's the Trekkie thing. Like that mm-hmm. is the, the, the DNA of Star Trek is the, the question of what is it to be human and, uh, and looking at the best of humanity and seeing our potential. Hmm. So here was a character who really sort of embodied star trek dna he was made of star trek dna um that looked at the hopefulness the optimism i think that was the word Mm -hmm. he says human beings are so optimistic yeah um so he looked at the optimism of humanity and the potential of humanity and and i thought that was cool and you don't really get a whole lot of that in sci-fi either because you usually get here's a here's a fallen humanity you know Mm -hmm. here's here's star wars not star trek so as you were saying this, I was realizing how similar the DNA of Doctor Who is to oh. that. Um, obviously, you know, we can probably say pretty safely that Star Trek did it first. So like, let's not say that, you know, one sh- nerd show is doing better than other. <laughs> but that is my, my favorite takeaway from any Doctor Who episode is that like, hey, humans at their, be- at their best are pretty swell and worth protecting. Yeah. Um, which I, it's really awesome. So, you know, one, one of these days you should probably soon, since you have a TARDIS in your office and really <laughs> should see the value of it before you just dispose of it. Um, you know, c- catch a couple Doctor Who episodes. <laughs> really well, love it. <laughs> well, honestly, I probably won't until we review it. It's true. It's and true. it'll be sometime. We got a, a <sighs> short list. It's getting very sci-fi heavy too. So I know. So we'll hold up on deciding on it. Um, let me... So that was a lot on uh, Dr. Phlox. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, to Paul, we mentioned in pieces. Let's talk about, and let's analyze her in maybe a little bit more depth uh, momentarily, if we haven't covered her well enough already. Who? Uh, to Paul. To Paul, yes. Uh, but Trip Tucker, who is, sort of rounds out the core three. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. It wasn't hmm. It wasn't until the very end of the episode that I thought it was clear, but I think it was pretty obvious by the end of the episode that they're trying to recreate the the core triad of the original series, which is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Oh uh, yeah. And McCoy is the uh, the rascally old country doctor, and in this case, he's the the rascally engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, T- 
T'Pol, Spock, uh, direct parallels, and then you have uh, the hero, you know, the swaggering hero. Okay. The bravado yeah. and Kirk. Um, I think it worked here, but I really just like Tripp's character. He just sort of got this okay. everyman quality that I just find him fun and approachable. And uh, Reed's making fun of him at one point in time. He goes, great, we got to go see the engineer, Commander Tucker. He goes, keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. And he's making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Which, in typical keeping with Star Trek, there's not conflict very much between the characters. Mm-hmm. And there certainly isn't making fun of like that. Yeah. So this is, again... It's a lot a, more personable. Yeah, different era that's a lot more approachable for us. Um, and then they have their interaction in engineering, and he, and he, Reed says something kind of pushy toward Tucker, like, hey, well, I need you to do this thing so I could get the deflector dish set. And he says, keep your shirt on, Lieutenant. <laughs> so he's a little bit of a caricature here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. However, uh, I find him charming and likable, and I think across the series as a whole, he ends up being one of the very strong characters in our core three, which is to Paul Archer and um, Tucker. Someone I did want to talk about um, was Hoshi Sato. Oh, great. I didn't put her on my card. I almost missed her. Yeah, no, I was starting to get anxious that you were going to. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I stopped writing him because I know all the characters. And I yeah. I stopped writing him before we talked about Hoshi. Yeah, and my, she was really exciting. That was my exciting. mistake, and I should acknowledge that that was a, uh, that that was a mistake because she's definitely worth uh, plenty of discussion. Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, she was, we are introduced to her as she is teaching Klingon to a a class of students. Um, teaching a language. Oh, was it not Klingon? They don't know Klingon yet because they just discovered Klingons. Okay. I thought they went to her specifically because she's a Klingon. So she's like linguistic. The ling- right. Okay. Gifted, ling- like a sci-fi level. Okay. Because linguistic. then she all of a sudden was like needing a machine for help. And I was like, man, did you like over promise and under deliver on this one? Are I, you saying that you're the Klingon expert and all of a sudden this guy doesn't speak your kind of Klingon? Like- no, she's designing <laughs> the, the, what becomes the universal translator later in Star Trek. Oh, that's super cool. Because she's got the magic ear for it. She's designing the piece of equipment so that they'll be able to translate. There's a lot yeah. in this. This is kind right. of worthwhile, like, <laughs> that I just am kind of missing. So, like, it's it's it sounds like it's all there. I'm just, I don't know if I'm just missing it or... Well, you know, I said to you when we started, you didn't seem like you were that interested in this. And No, and I totally am. At the beginning of it, you said, man, last night was a rough one. Uh-huh. So you were maybe not at your highest energy level. So, oh, that that's totally not even... Like, I don't feel like that's actually been affecting me today. Oh, like, nice. Um, normally, I let my anxiety about I'm going to be lost in the show oh. bother me. And I think that you were seeing a lack of that panic today because I was like, you know, either I'm going to get it or I'm not. And I'm going to let that be a, a an indicator of the show's incompetence or competence rather right. than my own. Good point. Uh, so you saw a lack of panic today, which right. made, me, made it seem like I wasn't interested. That was super <laughs> not the case. Um, cool. I was more interested. You know, I was surprisingly interested throughout. Oh, good. Um, yeah. I got that since we started. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> so Hoshi is not in... She's on... Not in active duty with Starfleet at all. Yeah, not at all. She's teaching a class in in some tropical soundstage somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, teaching some made up language. Uh, and Archer comes to get her uh, after. And we should talk a little bit about the plot. We meet Klingons in the opening scene. We never met a Klingon before, so this is when uh, the Federation. This is mm-hmm. when Earth is first introduced to Klingons, who are who's being attacked by some alien that we've never seen in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. At that uses uh, special effects that maybe didn't exist in the previous Star Trek shows. Um, 
So there's a lot more digit. Plus, it's a pilot, so there's a bigger budget. So we get a big explosion. Usually, Star Trek just sort of blows up a pile of dirt. <laughs> this one, there's a big explosion of a silo uh, where the Klingon ends up running away from some aliens in a cornfield somewhere. Sullivan's. Uh, Sullivan. Sullivan. Oh, I yeah. did not write it phonetically enough for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you're reading it more than you're yep. hearing it. Yep, you're uh, right. So, uh, so this is the mission where the Klingon is in the hospital on at headquarters uh and the vulcans are saying hey the klingons want us to take them back we're going to take them back the top brass federation is saying this happened on our soil like Mm -hmm. this is our like we get to decide what to do here um vulcans are throwing their weight around uh archer makes an impassioned speech saying hey fuck you guys you guys are dicks um Mm -hmm. we're gonna do what we're gonna do that works um and uh uh, he then rounds up the crew, goes to Hoshi, who says, hey, I can't go with you. I'm not on active duty, so you're going to have to pull me into this, and I'm not willing right now. He plays for her a recording of Klingon. She goes, well, wait a second. Here's a new language that's very interesting to me. Oh, okay. Yep. She's not, and she's she's uh, pretty mm, intimidated by anything threatening in this because she's not necessarily... I She's not somebody who wants to go out on a deep space mission. Yeah, she's an educator. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank She's you got for great moments, actually, in this. She really does. Like, she says something nice to T'Pol and Vulcan, and, Vul- and T'Pol bites at her and says, I've been instructed to speak uh, mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. <laughs> on human. this mission. Uh, don't speak to me in Vulcan. And later, when she starts to sort of ingratiate herself with the crew, um, she looks at Hoshi and, and politely says something in Vulcan, and Hoshi says, you're welcome. So, nice little arcs there also. Yeah. I had forgotten that Hoshi has quite a few moments in mm-hmm. this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you were mentioning plot-wise um, that they were that the humans, I guess, the Federation was having arguments with the Vulcans yeah. over who gets to take possession of the Klingon mm-hmm. and do with, the, with them what they will. And um, I wanted to pull out a quote from that moment, which I thought was really amusing and a good point from Captain Archer. Um, which is when logic doesn't work, you raise your voice. You've been yeah. on Earth too long, and I was like, "Ha ha!" That was good. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was a good intellectual, you know, call out. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, yeah, good point. And as the swaggering, crude human mm-hmm. uh, to say, "Look, we we might be um, repulsive and vulgar to you, but you're the one who's raising your voice when reason and and uh, logic doesn't get you manipulation over me." Doesn't you know that you didn't use that to successfully sway me to your side? Yeah, uh, and that was Saval. That was Ad, uh, Ambassador Saval. Who's thank you. I wrote Saval question mark. Yeah, <laughs> who's important? He ends up being an important uh, piece of the show throughout the show. And Admiral Forrest, who I'll mention here, but you know he's just one of the admirals, makes a speech and stuff. Um, anyway, that being said, you know we talked a lot about T'Pol in pieces. Almost Mitch Hoshi, my bad. Uh, anything else? Anybody else that we should mention? Yeah, it's really important. Like one of the biggest characters, I think, as far as I can tell, going forward, uh, Porthos, <laughs> the, the beagle, the adorable beagle. Yes, <laughs> which I'm going to use to cross out my final quote on my quote card as naturally as possible, which is, um, you know, uh, T'Pol um, had recognized that there was a dog on board and was like kind of scowling about it and uh captain archer had kind of 
brought it up with her like oh does this offend like does having the dog aboard offend you and i don't remember the exact he says words. that she has a he says i understand that uh, vulcan females mm. have a heightened sense of smell yes i hope porthos isn't too offensive to you yes and she goes i've been trained to tolerate offensive situations and i was just like <laughs> okay this is the relationship we're setting ourselves up for right. here Anyway, that and it well. was bitchy in a way. And Trekkies are funny because they learned comebacks from Spock and from T'Pol. You know? <laughs> so Trekkies have this this dry, mean wit. Yes. And I know it comes from there where they could string words together artfully um, to just totally uh, shatter somebody. Uh, who might not even understand what the insult was. They just understand that they were insulted. <laughs> <laughs> and it's stuff like that. Yeah. No, I've been trying to, to uh, tolerate offensive situations. <laughs> Which makes it no less offensive. Oh, yeah. She could have said it's not a problem for me. Yeah. You're right about our sense of smell, you know, as, a, as an officer of the Vulcan, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I have a lot of training to be able to make that not a problem. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> that is offensive, and I will tolerate it. You disgusting human. Yeah, you're right. Funny. Um, so I thought that even with characters that didn't get much of a moment, and mm-hmm. I, you know what? I think they really all did, other than Malcolm Reed, the security guy, sure. the British guy. I don't think he really had much to do. That was a mm-hmm. moment. You know, Hoshi had a moment. Mayweather had a moment. The pilot when he goes in the. Um, Oh, they had that funny thing, which was very not Trekkie. Um, he, the trip asks Mayweather, he says, is it true? He says, you've been a trillion one, right? I can't remember what the planet's name was. Um, you've been a trillion one. He goes, I have. And he says, it's true that the women have, he says, three. And mm. he says, and you know this first hand, first hand, second hand. Third hand. Gross. I missed that. Oh my God. That's hilarious. And it was something that wouldn't have existed in Star Trek later. Yeah. But they're allowed to, you know, the intellectuals of space in Picard's time, they're allowed to acknowledge here. Uh, yeah, no, we're horny guys still. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was very much, especially with the butterfly women, uh, very much a, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout. So Trying to make it sexy. <laughs> We're getting deep in um, I, I, our analysis of the characters. I like everybody. Like, I'm interested yeah. enough in, in the new crew. And we talked about Archer's arc. We talked about the antagoni- antagonism between him and T'Pol. Mm-hmm. T'Pol and Tucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tension between her and Tucker. So I think they're setting up a nice um, uh, dynamic between yeah, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is the... I mean, obviously, genres is, is always going to score highest with Star Trek because they know their genre. Very clear, yeah. But, um, yeah, characters is a close second. Like, it is, it was, this was the most interested I've been in a set of Star Trek characters. So, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, in fact, I, I think, I knew that I always liked this pilot. And, and until Picard, this was my favorite Star Trek pilot. Like, I think this is one mm-hmm. of the very best pilots. I don't know. Original series is its own yeah, category. Exactly. it has two. So, it's mm-hmm. a totally different thing. But, uh. I fr- I'm realizing the reason I like this pilot so much is because they really, well, it's good writing. Yeah. I mean, it has the elements of good writing, and I don't mean to say that like I'm an expert writer or anything, but to me, mm, some yes. of the elements are um, that the characters go- are going through something. The characters have something to overcome, not just the conflict in front of them. Uh, and in this case, there was quite a bit of that, and the uh, everybody had a personality that felt real and authentic to the actor playing them. So uh, 
I think really that's why I like this pilot so much. Yeah. And I got to say, which is not anything to do with what we were just talking about, but I forgot to mention it when we were talking about Dr. Flocks. Mm-hmm. Sick Bay in this show yeah. is, I think, just such a beautiful set. Yeah. It's very white, but it's very, it's very, um, it feels like it's just Flocks' office. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, uh, it's just one of the beautiful sets of Star Trek, and it felt kind of nautical. Like it didn't feel like the giant cruise ship yeah. Enterprise D. It felt like a, a small space. It felt like it was kind of realistic in size for mm-hmm. a ship of this size. Um, and there's just something about the uh, the design work that went into it. Um, I just really like it. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. And you, it really gave you an insight into the character, it felt like, because you had your specimens everywhere. Like, you knew what kind of a doctor. He's not like a flash of light on a doctor. He, right. like, he has all of the, you know, the things he's collected from his many planets and travels and, you know, his educational, you know, he's just, he's very well-rounded and it all shows there. Yeah, it felt like his, um, what is it called in, in uh, Under DC? What's that, that uh, Disney character's name? Little Mermaid? Ariel, yeah. Yeah. Uh, her grotto. It felt like his grotto. It felt like his like his craftsman workshop. Yeah. Um, it felt like it was the... I can't remember what they call it, but the set design people mm-hmm. that, that place all the things, that make it authentic to the character. Yeah. Felt like it was just one of the very well-designed um, main sets of Absolutely. anything Star Trek. Because it's always fun to go there, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, what mischievous thing do you have cooking today? That's going to save the day yeah. perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so high marks on character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of surprising. And I that makes me think that this is the strength of this particular pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Definitely. brings us into plot. Plot, I was... All right, so the plot for the overarching series. Yeah. I mean, I still feel like it's just going to be Star Trek. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so... It's not that it's bad. It's just it wasn't. It doesn't fill up a bun- big chunk of time. <laughs> I feel like that was covered in genre mostly because I don't feel like they're going to deviate from space space exploration formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like there's going to be, you know it does make me feel like there's going to be a lot of character arcs in there. So I'm more excited about that than I would have been just a regular Star Trek. You know. It seems a little bit more serialized in the sense that it has interpersonal conflict in addition to, you know, your space character arcs. Yes, exactly. It'll be a weekly adventure show with an alien of the week with uh, more overarching character plots. Yep. Nailed it. Perfect. Uh, I would say that that was my takeaway from this also, Ah. from this uh, episode, um, from this pilot. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think probably that's where uh, they fumble in the series. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, spoiler alert. Um, I, I don't think they really keep the promise of the character arcs. It just really stumbles. This was such a strong pilot. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of season one and two, like there's not that much that I remember from it. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even do a good job of keeping up on it weekly until season three. And I say we, meaning my family and I. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, I And figured. it was big news. It was like, there's a new Star Trek show. And then it, really quickly, you know, a couple weeks in or less, it feels like, wow, it's just back to the same old grind, huh? Yeah. Which I understand from Brennan Braga, the executive producer, one of the executive producers who was beloved at one point in time for his great work in The Next Generation. Um, and his so-so work depending on who you ask in voyager to being pretty universally hated in this 
he had said uh, in an interview somewhere that what they were planning on doing, mm-hmm. because the executive producers knew that Star Trek needed a, you know, they needed to dial the, the artificial gravity down to 0.8 to put a little bit more pep in the step. Um, <laughs> they were going to do a much more serialized show. Yeah. And the first season was going to be about preparing Enterprise for um, a deep space mission and bringing the crew together. Oh, and, that's cool. Yeah. And then there was like an attack or the the introduction of the Klingon. I don't know if we would have gotten a different plot with the Sulaban and whatever. But the um, the... I think there was some kind of attack on the Federation or whatever it was that sprung the ship out on its mission prematurely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and NBC wanted to host the show because Star Trek, the original series, began on NBC. Oh. Uh, but the uh, powers that be, uh, <laughs> they wanted the grind. They wanted the um, the serialized, no, not the serialized, the uh, episodic form. They wanted the same old formula. Mm-hmm. Probably because they knew how to package it and sell it in syndication to make money on it. So... I think the uh, it's a shame that Enterprise Enterprise is a show that um, I don't know that it's underrated so much as it's overhated, uh, and in retrospect, that kind of bums me out because it seems like you got a good group of people. You got to yeah, you know, you like the rest of Star Trek. Like, is this one really so offensive? No, but you know, it had been done better already. It it feels like in a lot of ways it was a little ahead of its time for Trekkies though, because now I feel like Star Trek is a lot more like that. Um, in that they're trying to explore the character pieces rather than the um, episodic pieces. At least that's what I feel like I'm liking more about the newer shows that I'm seeing the pilots with you. Well, I, I see what you're saying. You're mm-hmm. just looking at the pilot. That's true. The that's pilot true. is is. I think this is a great pilot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the uh, plot itself it's spaceship adventure yeah. stuff, um, which we didn't hardly even talk about the Sulaban. We didn't talk about some of the the larger. Story points here. I don't really think we need to. No, definitely. Spaceship adventure stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And they did it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the special effects were on point and, and it had really showed a lot of progress for what Star Trek could do visually, I think. And it looked yeah. great. Um, and and here you got the story arcs. You got, I mean, the character arcs. You had mm-hmm. a lot of really strong elements. All the things that we're discussing now. Yeah. I think that there was a, a hunger for that. I think there was an appreciation of it when they did the show. Um, and I think that the show didn't realize, I think the producers didn't realize the, the promise of the show. Um, so I think it underperformed in execution. I think this is an example of, of its potential. Mm-hmm. I think that exactly, would have been yeah. a well-beloved show. Definitely. And rightly so. Absolutely. Which brings us to the hook. Are you hooked? Um, I mean, man, before you told me that the rest of the season wasn't going to, or the series wasn't going to live up, yes, the crew chemistry is what was the hook for me. Um, I was kind of a big fan of that, even, you know, with the mm, overly sexual pieces of that, <laughs> overly sexualized presentation of it. I really did like the conflict that they were setting up yeah. um, in the crew um, and the chemistry as well. Well, you know, I'm, I'm taking this from the point of view, if you're interested in this, in your time, of course, mm-hmm. if you ever... Don't not follow it up because because I have a historic feeling about how. Oh yeah, yeah, never. As a nerd too, because the reasons you're liking this show, I'm really surprised to talk to a a non fan, Mm -hmm. um, and find out that the things that they were going for were effective Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of stuff that felt like it was re-explaining it to us as Trekkies, and it was really like needless. No, it was super nice for me because I'm like, oh, thank God they're gonna just explain. Okay, oh good. If you. 
And here's what's fascinating <laughs> to me right now. It's making me think, this discussion is making me think, wow, if you watched anything Star Trek, just mm-hmm. to understand the language of it, mm-hmm. I think it's possible that this is what you need to watch. That Enterprise is hmm. the one that non-fans need to watch to under and and just to get caught up on what's going on now. Like if you're gonna say, look, I'm not necessarily interested in seeing the 785 episodes or whatever yes. it is that preceded mm-hmm. what's going on now, but I would like to watch what's going on now. Yeah, uh, what can I watch and what can I watch in its entirety? Mm-hmm. Um, Enterprise. I'm fascinated to learn that this could be the case. Enterprise might be this the starter series outside of Lower Decks. Lower yeah. Decks being the teaser, right? Yeah, exactly. Teaser, uh, appetizer, because your main course wants, you know, you want that to be what's what's current on in the streaming world. I would really be intrigued to see if you uh, enjoyed the rest of the show. And, I'll definitely let you know. And whether, however well you enjoyed it, if it maintained its accessibility to uh, to as a jumpstart to be able to understand better what's going on uh, currently. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Um, and for you, Hook? Uh, the end where Archer has that dialogue with T'Pol that we already mm-hmm. mentioned, and she says, add pride to your list. Yeah. Um, the dynamic between Archer and T'Pol, which, like I said, seems really reminiscent of Kirk and Spock mm-hmm. with Trip as McCoy, question mark. Um <laughs> I like that. I mean, the idea that next week it's going to be a different rubber-headed foe yeah. was not that interesting to me. There's They established here with the Sulaban that there's going to be an overarching um, villain that we're pushing against, which is going to be the Sulaban, and uh, whatever their dastardly plan is that we're getting nuggets of. Uh, and there uh, seems to be a time travel element because the main Sulaban bad guy here has um like they they're they're planting seeds for an arc at least in this season mm-hmm. the thing with the dna the helix that they didn't get specific with excuse me didn't get specific with um like there are things in the plot but by the end of it I, whatever like i don't know enough yet we'll see yeah. like we'll see if that's interesting yeah or not. it looked good um so i i'm not really paying attention to that it seems like it's going to be an alien of the week for the most part Eh, you know, I've seen it a lot, and I'm a Trekkie, so I'll continue to watch it and mm-hmm. appreciate that part of it, but that's not really novel anymore. What spoke to me was the connection between the characters. Yeah. So if I'm, you know, I'm going to be hooked, um, that's going to be what it is. And i got to say, at the time that this was new, mm-hmm. I was hooked. I mean, yeah. this was a fine piece of Star Trek Cool. in the day. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, really quick before we completely move out of this, I would like to call out the, uh, small firefly connection that there is, which is, uh, the gal who plays Saren, who's kind of a big, mm-hmm. uh, piece of the plot. She dies in this episode. Um, she's our person who the, um, Klingon was getting information from or taking something from to take back to what his people, the anyway, Klingons, plot, yeah. Plot, 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 which we right. really didn't cover. But anyways, she was played by Melinda Clark, who is Nandy in Firefly. Um, so Heart of Gold episode in Firefly, which is beloved by Firefly fans. She's it's super great. pretty. Oh, she in both, too. Yeah. I in, think I've seen her in other things, and I mm-hmm. couldn't figure out where it was that I'd seen her, which wouldn't have been Firefly. Oh, yeah, so no. I, I know I've seen her, and you said, oh, she's Firefly. And I'm, I thought, I don't... Yeah, you're like, wait, I want to watch Firefly. cast? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. She's just in the one episode, so, you know. But there are, 
That's still a large percentage of Firefly episodes. <laughs> oh, I need to stop making jokes. She's in episodes. almost all of the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> almost 10%. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's all I had on that. Um, so we have a successful pilot here. Yes, we do. Cool. Um, I uh, Somewhere in here, there is a, a companion show, or the, the spinoff, I feel, of um, pilots. Somewhere there's there's... There's a deep trek. Non-fan nerd mm-hmm. introducing a non-fan, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I got to just make peace with the word Trekkie. Trekkie mm-hmm. introducing the show to a non-Trekkie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gone more smoothly than, um, you anticipated. than I anticipated. And, and here's where I criticize Trekkies in general. Mm-hmm. They insist that people love Star Trek the way that they love Star Trek, that they love it correctly. Mm-hmm. Which... Trekkie should know that we all love it differently, which we don't acknowledge because some of the shows are stupider than the other ones, and then if you like those ones better, then you're an idiot, right? Um, really what it comes down to is which is the one that you were brought up with? Like, which mm-hmm. one's the one that you learned to love first? So my thought is, I tell people when I've read, I read these on nerd groups sometimes, like, how do I get my husband or how do I get my wife mm-hmm. into Star Trek? And everybody says, well, you start at the original series and you plow through. And it's like, oh, great. Way to make it a giant, daunting work made to make it work that's the way i would introduce people to star trek not because it's right but that's because the way i watch tv (laughs) (laughs) so my approach has always been start with the um start newer but i always say start with the kelvin series because it's made for stupid people who don't like star trek not star trek it's made for stupid people who don't like science fiction. <laughs> and sorry, tell me what the Kelvin series is. Oh, I'm sorry. The the newer movies. Okay, the movies. Yeah, the Chris Pine movies. Okay. Start with those ones um, for the reasons that I said, because that's how Trekkies look at it. Mm-hmm. So start with the most accessible mm-hmm. and then work backwards from what's most recent so mm-hmm. people can get over the, well, this is really campy. Mm-hmm. Get them into the show and get them interested in, okay, well, how did we get here? Like, what is a Kardashian? It's a Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's an idea that ruminates that I bring up sometimes. But mm, I start. I'm starting to feel like there's more room for that because we have this thing you and I where we revisit every ten episodes mm-hmm. a Star Trek pilot. We're gonna run out of those, so you know maybe we save that spot in our series for some sort of a look back at the series. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know quite what that would look like yet, but you know, let's let's save that spot for Star Trek for now. Good fucking point. Thanks. And they're making new shows too. Yeah. St- um Strange New Worlds is going to be the next one to come out and it's got it's got all the trekkies. It's mm-hmm. got all of our panties pretty juicy. <laughs> when does that come out? Um I don't know. They're making it now and this is, you know, post 2020, so so who knows what the schedules sure. are for shows. But uh, they say that Lower Decks will be out. Season 2 will be out mm-hmm. in August. Um, I'm so excited for that. So, so excited. <laughs> like, since I binged it, you know, I've been like, okay, so when's the next season? Oh, God, they don't even, they haven't even announced it. What the, oh, God, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I guess here's here's maybe my, my mission, however, and I mean this more vague sure. uh, than I think it'll sound. Um, I, I like the idea that could we possibly introduce a model? Is it possible mm-hmm. to introduce a model of how to introduce somebody like the method, mm-hmm. like an established effective method for how to introduce a non-Trekkie to Star Trek in a way that's palatable, <laughs> easy, 
mm-hmm. and maybe even enjoyable. Yeah, no, I think uh, we could even like maybe take an episode to pinpoint like the must watch episodes in it. Yes. You know, like if you were to take me out of my normal habitat of how I watch TV right. and I were to break the rules and watch things in any order you dictate, um, you know, skipping episodes as you see fit and tuning into episodes as you see fit to inform my understanding of the world and, and enjoy it. Um, yeah, I think that's the place to explore it. Say, hey, these are the must-watch episodes maybe of Next Gen. Right. Okay, cut everything else. And this is what, you know, it's the essential Trekkie's guide to watching it for beginners. Maybe let's watch what's going on now. Yeah. This is as we continue to roll through sure. spitballing ideas. What's going on now and what are the connection points to what's going on now? Here's the cube. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't understand what the cube is. Well, then obviously we got to watch the, the best of the Borg. Um, so that you can understand why the cube's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and that would be that would be a pretty easy guided tour that we could take. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, weigh in on that, listeners. Uh, Trekkies, of course. Uh, like to hear your thoughts on that, your bitchy, um, self-absorbed thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> and non-Trekkies, you know. what What is so daunting to you about the Star Trek universe? Yeah, non-Trekkies that actually listen to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I imagine there are a lot, millions of you even. I mean, if we have a billion listeners mm-hmm. and only 10% are listening, mm-hmm. that's like a hundred million, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So that's still pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do we do next week? So we, we had a plan laid out and then we, uh, didn't acknowledge that this was going to be, uh, episode 35. We didn't know that this was going to be Star Trek week necessarily last week when we made our plan of our HBO showdown. Yeah. Ooh, I like the, I like that term. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, do you still want to work on our HBO showdown? I know that the first one in our HBO showdown was going to be a sci-fi one, which was going to make this tricky, but you know, we've done back-to-back sci-fi before and, you know, people still listen. So maybe maybe that's not quite the offensive thing we thought it was. Uh, maybe not make it, an, uh, you know, a sci-fi exclusive going forward or anything. But, you know, if that's what the people want, let's give it to well, them. <laughs> I wanted to watch Avenue 5 with mm-hmm. you. Uh, yeah. And you, you said Doom Patrol, right? Yeah, so... Well, let's just stick to what we had planned. Exactly. Yeah, let's do Avenue 5 and, and let's roll on. It'll be a nice contrast because it's a very non-Trekkie spaceship show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Counter-programming. I just looked at the like what HBO Max had for, you know, the, the picture it picked and was trying to make any, you know, um, headway on what it would mean or like guesses as to what the show would bring based on that because I didn't go look out, you know, look for a trailer. I try not to... If I haven't seen the thing before, I try not to skew my perception of it mm. too much by saying, okay, let me go watch a trailer really quick because it'll give me like the season trailer. And if they mm. don't have an effective pilot, well, at least see where they're going with it. And yeah, that's sometimes a little too much credit to give a show. So I wasn't giving myself spoilers, but it looked amusing uh, to say the <laughs> very least. I had forgotten when we talked about it that Hugh Laurie was the star of it. Um, and I'm really excited about it. I've only watched a little bit of House, not enough to really fully appreciate that series. Um, probably something to revisit. But It's very not House, too. And it's yeah. probably more, I don't know, akin to some of the early comedy that he's done yeah. in his career. Um, it, in If you look at his career, his body of work, yeah. um, House... 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> he was Jasper, I think. <laughs> uh, or Horace, I don't know. <laughs> to look at Avenue 5 against the other things you know him from. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> it really goes to show what an interesting career he's mm-hmm. had. What a uh, what an awesome career he's had, yeah. and what a range he has, mm-hmm. uh, and has, or or at least what a sandbox he's had to play in. Yeah, that would be that would be fun to be him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be something different, cool. and you know, maybe it'll be a reason to keep HBO for another um, week at least. HBO Max, yeah, which is the game we're playing with this, right? <laughs> <laughs> So then we have Doom Patrol lined up um, to set against that one. And then what? We're going to take a quick break for Farscape because we've been putting off that one for a while, um, which is a sci-fi that a co-worker, Beth, has um, so sweetly lent her DVDs for. And you know that it's got a good fan base when somebody still has the DVDs for it. So I'm just saying, I am kind of interested. <laughs> and unlike Firefly, it's more than one box. <laughs> <laughs> wow, low blow, but yeah, that's true. Ouch. <laughs> Still too soon? Too, too soon. soon. <laughs> Always too soon, man. Always too soon. But. Farscape didn't get a movie. Yeah, it's true. You know, I did a little bit of extra read. I don't know if I ever followed up with you on when the Firefly fan base got big. It was after the DVD cre- was created. The fan base did not pick up until it made sense because it was put in chronological order and all accessible on not a Friday night yeah. <laughs> DVD format. So thanks, Fox. You fucked it up, but the DVD somehow recovered it. In Typical a way. <laughs> Fox. Typical. Yeah. Nobody watched you until American Idol. That's yeah. not true. Married and we only children. stuck around for New Girl. <laughs> That's true. And now nobody watches Fox. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what do I watch on Fox now? What know. is on Fox? I don't know. It's broadcast TV. <laughs> I don't bother with it. Cool. I'm too good for that now. Um, I'm a professional TV critic. Mm-hmm. Professional. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's the word I'd use? I ain't got no time for Fox and their cheap broadcast bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Too much TV out there for that. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for stopping in to spend some time with us. Please be sure to write us some hate mail, some regular mail, so long as it's electronic, and some love letters to pilotsthepodcast at gmail.com. That's pilotsthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and just in case I confused you the first time around, pilotsthepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. at Pilots Podcast. Yes. And at Twitter, at Pilots the Pod. Wow, you got it, man. Yeah, I, every week we're doing it. I keep showing up every week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that one's pretty hard. There's one of them that's different at yeah. Pilots the Pod. And go figure it would be Twitter. Twitter. Well, you know, we're not a politician or a celebrity movie star. Let's yeah. not let's not put ourselves there. <laughs> <laughs> we could be still we could still be celebrities. Very very low level. <laughs> I do bet. I mean, if you take a sampling of a billion um, podcast listeners, the odds are at least ten percent. Was that a mm-hmm. hundred million? Yeah, are probably uh, going to be familiar with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. a good point. Well, yeah, <laughs> we will uh, hear from you next week. That's a lie, but you'll hear from us if you tune in. Um, I listen on Spotify. That's my favorite spot to listen. That's uh, become mine as well. Oh, good. Honestly. But, yeah. you know, for your favorite way to listen, pilotsthepodcast.com. Look for the app for the logo for the app that you typically listen to podcasts on or discover a new one. And, you know, we recommend Spotify. Yeah, why, why look further? You're going to find all of them on there if you go to the website, except for Spreaker. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, we fired them. 
We fired them. Yeah. And we wanted to be on record. We fired them. Yeah, that did not end amic- amicably <laughs> at all. <laughs> not at all. Sort of like every single time I cancel my CenturyLink subscription. Mm-hmm. Okay, time to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm Riker. And I'm Shmi. And this is Pilots. Pilots.